Hello and welcome to Monocle 24's The Urbanist, the show all about the cities we live in. I'm Andrew Tuck. Coming up on today's programme. This is not only a question of architecture, of technique, it also has to do with the proper governance and capacity of cities to open a debate. In less than 30 years from now, two-thirds of the population worldwide will live in cities. That means that in the next 30 years, we have to build cities for exactly the amount of people who right now are living in cities. Designing an urban core that accommodates everyone is the key to a successful city. However, the idea of density done right has been cast into doubt by a global pandemic that has managed to disrupt almost every facet of city life. Today, we ask if density is the real issue here and if the very idea of the city is at threat. Or should we be taking a step back and reassessing what the real cause for concern is in our urban areas? Our guests explore all that today right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. We're experiencing an historic reversal in the global surge of people ditching small towns in the country for the allure of the big city. The pandemic is changing so much. Welcome back. Americans fleeing big cities in record numbers, with many preferring the suburbs during the coronavirus pandemic. Once the lockdown happened, we decided uh, we no longer wanted to be in an apartment building and we wanted to have a little bit more room for our family. And, uh, well, we've been talking about the fact that people are staying away from towns and cities. Uh, this is the scene in Trafalgar Square. A bright spring day. As you can see, it is absolutely deserted. These are Some New Yorkers are now wondering if this is the the time to pull up stakes from a high density area like the city and move to the suburbs before the next pandemic hits. As various versions of lockdown swept the globe in early 2020, an exodus was beginning. Those who could fled the city to the vast open spaces of the countryside for fear that density was the big baddie when it came to virus transmission. Fast forward six months and city streets may seem a little quieter, but it's clear that the majority of citizens have remained. It appears that working out how risky city living is for the spread of illness is not quite as simple as per square mile calculations. There are other aspects clearly at play. Well, to discuss this and more, I'm joined on the line now by Cécile Maisonneuve, chairman of the urban innovation think tank La Fabrique de la Cité. Cécile recently wrote an op-ed titled Long Live Urban Density and she believes that the dreaded D word might not be as scary as it sounds. Cécile, great to have you on the show. Can you first explain why you don't think density is such a bad thing? Well, I would say that there is nothing new under the sun. Each time there is a pandemic, we charge density for being the main responsible of the illness and so on. So cities have always been seen as a place where illness, diseases develop. But the fact is, if you just look at where these pandemics develop, uh, you will see that in terms of numbers of people uh, affected by the virus or uh, affected by the disease itself, uh, you have as many people in dense cities as in rural areas which are touched. The problem is not so much the density of living in cities. The question is the density of social interaction. 
And this is why maybe one of the first clusters in France, for example, was in a mid-sized city in the eastern part of France. But the reason why there was a cluster there was simply because of a religious meeting. People had huge, very intense social interaction. And this caused the cluster, not the fact that they were living in a very density. Just another example, if you take the density of Paris inside the peripheric, it's 20,000 inhabitants per kilometer. If you take one city outside of uh, Paris, like Saint-Denis, density is three or four times weaker, but the number of cases there was much more important. So once again, we talk about social interaction. We talk also about poor housing condition, poor living condition. We're not talking about urban density per se. So does that mean for you that we shouldn't change the way that we're designing our cities per se? We should perhaps continue to think about more density in our cities, adding in more apartment buildings, but just making sure that people know that if something like this happens, they have to use their personal space, their apartment space to disconnect from other people, to meet in smaller groups, for example. I would say that if we look at throughout the history of cities, they have been built against pandemias. If you uh, take the example of London, if you take the example of Paris, they are the result of the long history of relationship between cities and disease. So it's not news that we take into account when building our cities the question of diseases. What I would say regarding the current situation is that the way you build, I mean, the architectural shape of buildings, the way you put building in relationship with another is as important as density per se. What I mean through this is that, for example, you have the same density between a centre of London or a city like Créteil or Grenoble. And frankly speaking, you don't have the same living experience of the city because architecture, the way activities are organised are so different. So when we talk about drawing lessons from what we are currently living through, it's more about, as you said, rethinking the way inside the building we uh, organize apartments with the way we organize uh, common spaces, for example, inside the building and outside the building, more than uh, the only question of urban density. And tell me, you also cite in your article this reference to the work of Baron Haussmann in Paris, building these amazing apartment buildings that have come to define the city for outsiders, the look and feel of it. You say perhaps we should look to his example, actually, and reinvent housing that delivers central courtyards, green spaces, a sense of fresh air, but good density. Why do you think that Baron Hausmann was quite good in what he did at the time? And and what lessons would you like to bring forward to today? It's true that, as I said, uh, Paris is one of the densest cities in the world. And from when we compare Paris with another city in terms of density, you have to compare it not with London, not with Berlin, but with Dhaka in Bangladesh or these kind of cities. And uh, how did Baron did to reach this very high density while at the same time you don't have the feeling of this density? Well, it's first of all the proportion between the built environment, the buildings themselves, and public spaces is very well thought. 
So it's a huge question when you build a city or when you rebuild uh, some areas to always take into account that a city is not just about buildings put there and here. It's about the proportion and the relationship between public spaces and buildings. And second point, what is important in the city is its mutability, the capacity of transforming it. And there is nothing in terms of architecture more transformable than an Osmanian flat. It can be an office for a medicine doctor, it can be a private housing. So it is important also to have this kind of reversibility of usage when you think about the built environment. And uh, last example, the Osmanian city is a city which is designed for walkability. There is this approach of the uh, what we call the ELO block, the kind of block, the Osmanian block, which enable the uh, building and the activities, the commercial activities, to be at a walking distance with wide sidewalks at the same time. So this is the way Osman did it in the 19th century. And I don't see why today we couldn't apply those principles in our built environment. And actually, all that we see throughout the cities all around the world about putting into question the place devoted to cars is really about rethinking this uh, relationship between the built environment and the way we move in the city and we perform our daily activities. And just finally, do you feel reasonably confident then about what lies ahead for cities in France and around the world? Do you feel that we've learned some good things at this time and that actually we could come out of this a little bit stronger? Cities, as I said, have been shaped by pandemias throughout history. And if we think about it, I would say that our cities are sometimes, it's okay, I think in France, older than states themselves. So cities will continue to thrive even after this pandemia. At one condition, as we said, is to draw the lesson from what we are currently living through. And this is a question of how resilient our cities are. This is not only a question of uh, architecture, of technique, it also has to do with the proper governance and capacity of cities to, I would say, to open a debate with their citizen to project ourselves in the future cities we want to live in. And this question of resilience and governance with the people is, to me, absolutely key in our capacity to uh, reshape our urban environment after the sanitary crisis. Cécile Maisonneuve, chairman of La Fabrique de la Cité, thank you for your time. Up next on The Urbanist, we look further north to Copenhagen. Stay with us. Well, now for a Nordic view on the discussion, we turn to Denmark. I'm joined now by Jesper Nugor, the CEO of the Copenhagen-based philanthropic association Real Dania. The organization has worked on a number of Copenhagen developments, including Blocks, an enhanced urban space in the city's port, and Blocks Hub, the Nordic hub for sustainable urbanization. Jesper, thank you for your time today. Firstly, could you explain a bit of history behind Real Dania and what you're trying to achieve with the organization? Real Dania, we used to own a mortgage institute and we sold that to a bank 20 years ago and then we were left with a rather big pile of money. And for the last 20 years, we have been working with philanthropy where our task is to increase the quality of life 
primarily for the Danes through the built environment. So everything we do is trying to use philanthropy to make a better and create a better society. And in these 20 years, we have been able to donate around uh, 20 billion Danish kroner between 2.8 and 3 billion euros. We have the same size almost as Rockefeller, both in equity and in yearly donation. And our task has been trying to improve the quality of life for the Danes with all kind of way to work like a modern philanthropist, trying to engage people, trying to work with development and knowledge, data, trying to create a huge effect of what we're doing in philanthropy. Now, I see that you have 165,000 members. What's the role then of the members in this world of modern philanthropy? When we served this mortgage institute in year 2000, we had the choice uh, between being a foundation or continue to be an association. And we continue to be an association. Denmark is a country with a lot of associations. The average Dane is a member of more than 25 associations and the board member in between three and four associations. So our society has, for hundreds of years, been created on associations. So we chose to be an association continuously. And today we have 167,000 members. Everybody who who owns directly or legally a property can be a member. And we want to be the, you could say, the common ship for people with interest in the built environment. And you could say a lot of foundations in Denmark and in Europe who are um, created by one founder who invented a window or a pill or a beer or whatever they done, they are born with legality and legitimacy. We're born with legality, but we're not born with legitimacy necessarily. And we thought that the association way, the way of having members would be a way to create that legitimacy of what we're doing. Now, for many years, the redevelopment of Copenhagen and especially its harbour has been a benchmark for other cities to come and see from around the world. You've been instrumental in in helping there, in particular with blocks, a physical space, a space for people to meet, a connection of cycleways. Explain to us what this is, and are you effectively the owner of a large chunk of the harbour? The way we work with philanthropy is that sometimes we uh, take ownership, sometimes we help people changing a mindset, Sometimes we uh, donate so people can create new knowledge and do something differently or something we donate money so other persons can develop very concrete things. And in Harpers in Denmark, we have in all 20 years trying to help this transformation from being an industrial dockland to be a harbor for people. That transformation is globally and it's also in Denmark. And we have been helping 10, 15 places in Denmark in this transition. And in Copenhagen, there was this big landfill, the last inner harbor landfill left, where until 1960, there was a big brewery. It burned many years ago. And then there was this piece of land left, which has been very, very difficult to figure out how to use and how to engage in the city. And we chose many years ago, 2004, to enter a relationship with the city of Copenhagen so we could help transforming the inner city to a harbor for human beings instead of a harbor who used to be an industrial harbor. And with that reason, we chose to make our huge, by far biggest investment in creating blocks as a destination, as a building, 
and a way of transforming a previously deserted part of Copenhagen into a lively urban space and a meeting point for everyone. So we established some bridges and this big building and a room where we could create livability, which is a very important part of the Copenhagen DNA to make a livable city. And you've proved yourself there to be you know, pioneers of sustainable innovation. It's a hub for the whole Nordic region. But perhaps we should jump to this moment where we are now. Over the last six months or the last five months since the pandemic began, many of the things that you've been championing, bringing people together, events, festivals have been challenged. And at the moment, Denmark, after a very good summer, is seeing its numbers of infections rise again. How much have you had to think about that space, its meaning for the city, its adaptability as the pandemic has hit Copenhagen and Denmark and the rest of Europe? I have to wind a little back because the ambition creating blocks was both to create a modern house in a city with a lot of function. You know, OMA, the Dutch architect, thinks that big buildings has to have all functions from a city within it. So you have an architecture center, you have a a venue for creation, you have uh, housing, you have a restaurant, you have a space where you can do things. So the ambitions with blocks has been extremely high. We have tried to create fantastic room for Danish Architecture Center in order to they could illustrate how architecture can make a difference for all of us in our in life. Design architecture is so important to create a better life. And the Blocks Hub ambition has been to convene more than 700 people working together from small companies, big companies, mid-sized companies, from startups, from researchers, trying to develop new solutions to a sustainable urbanization. Right now, 50% of the population in the world are living in cities. In less than 30 years from now, two-thirds of the population worldwide will live in cities. That means that in the next 30 years, we have to build cities for exactly the amount of people who right now are living in cities, 3.7 billion people. And that could either be the catastrophe for Mother Earth or it could be the solution if we do it right. So the ambition with blocks was to build a place where sustainability in architecture and design could be developed, talked about, presented both for professionals and for ordinary people like me. And that ambition in a period with a pandemic is extremely difficult. All the events in the open air area has been canceled for months. When we had the lockdown, all the people who had to work together had to go home. The exhibition areas in Danish Architecture Center had to shut down. Luckily, some of it has opened again, uh, now again with some restrictions. But we have seen that even in a digital world, we can do some of the things, but it's very difficult to convene people who don't know each other and to invent new things and to have dialogues of new things if you can't be together. So what we have done, we have made a special effort in trying to create a COVID-19 or Corona campaign. We have donated uh, 175 million Danish kroner in trying to help our society to be a little more sustainable. Very, very inspired by the UN sentence built back better. So every time you have a pandemic or every time you have a catastrophe, you have to do something on the shoulder of that that is better than society was before. 
if I have to be able to look into my children's eyes or in the future's eyes, it's very important for me and for Rildane that five years from now we can look back and say we use this crisis not only to create employment and jobs and growth and wealth in our society, but also to do it more sustainable, to do it more aligned with the SDGs from UN and more aligned in the climate challenge. And we do that in blocks, but we do that in our whole portfolio with this effort. And I think that is extremely important. The projects you're involved with are going to be long-term. You've been in the pipeline, many of them for years already, and you have to think years ahead about what the world will look like and need. Just out of interest, are you thinking that you say five years and actually as we begin to move just six months through this pandemic, we know it's going to roll on. It's certainly into spring next year. Are you thinking that the world will come back together and want to be in city spaces, dense, rubbing shoulders with each other, sharing workspaces? Or are you planning now and rethinking your program of projects and the things that you're looking at? to think, well, actually, maybe even Danes will want to work more remotely to be out in the countryside, that perhaps some of the things you had planned and had ambitions for won't be so relevant in the next five years? Oh, man, that's a very, very tough question. There's a lot of things about the pandemic we simply don't know yet. Density is extremely important for the climate. So the amount of space we use to live is as little as possible. But density in a European context and density in an Asian context and density in an American context are very different. And there's a lot of things we don't know about the virus still. We don't know if it's more spread in very dense areas, but we know that the cities, the spaces are used extremely different. And probably for sure, we will have to design our cities different in the future. And we are very uh, keen on that topic and we're very engaged in it. For example, have we uh, supported a big study that architect Gale has made where they, in four cities in Denmark and in other cities in other places in the world, has been making a study. How was the city used before the pandemic? How was the city used during the lockdown? And how was the city used after the lockdown? And there's a lot of knowledge to take from that survey. And they have made a lot of snapshots for example, there's fewer pedestrians. The peak usage times has shifted. The dominant activity observed in public spaces has changed quite a lot. So there's a lot of taking from the COVID-19 experiences we have to work with. And we will definitely, over the next years, trying to see how can we contribute in creating livable, better cities who, on the one hand, trying to help with the climate crisis and on the other hand, help with the new takes from pandemic experiences we have had for the last six months. Jesper Nugor, CEO of Real Dania, thank you for joining us here on The Urbanist. Well, that's all for this edition of The Urbanist. Today's programme was produced by Carlotta Rebello and David Stevens. David also edited the show. And to play you out of this week's episode... Well, here's the Beatles with All Together Now. Thank you for listening, city lovers.
Ship. 